Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of Liberty Diner Dish. I'm Ken. I'm Michelle. And we're about to jump right into another episode of Queer's Folk. We are jumping into episode 311 today. And, uh, oh. Girl, I am floored. Okay. I was trying to decide, like, what, how to describe what I'm feeling right now, but I don't know how. Girl, I'm pumped. Like, I, I don't, yeah, like you said, I don't know, but I know, like, I, I'm, yeah, my blood is pumping. I have, like, pumping. a whole lot of different types of energy flowing through me right crazy. now. Crazy. <laughs> crazy. Crazy episode. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, let's get into it, because I can't wait to talk yes. through some of this yes. together. Okay, so we start out in a very cold truck parking lot sort of <laughs> arrangement, and Brian and Justin are there, and I guess they're making a, ha- a habit of taking these little indecent midnight strolls, mm-hmm. um, and I guess there's some thrill to that. They kind of totally seem like they would be kink kings uh, to me. Oh, <laughs> like, absolutely. Nothing like overly weird, Yeah, but, nothing taboo, yeah, but, you but know, they, Yeah, I think adventurous. They, they clearly like to parallel play and have an audience, Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I feel like you got to have something like that that keeps keeps it spicy you know you don't want that planned out well we're gonna schedule this tonight at 10 o'clock are you free i'm free some uh, personal yeah so Uh, no no, (laughs) you you capping you coming for me don't come for me unless i send for you boo no okay i keep it spontaneous okay over here okay we hold it down over here but anyway so they find the secret sex trailer and it's mark pittsburgh power tool (laughs) Um, and they tell the leather-clad doorkeeper that they're there for the Feldman bar mitzvah. (laughs) They go in, and there's some action in this place, but it also seems like it's pretty miserable conditions. It's very cold, it's freezing, and it sucks, and not in a positive, life-affirming way. Yeah, no. I know I couldn't have done it. You know, I don't even like going... I don't like going outside in our cold weather. And I don't know if that's even considered <laughs> right. cold. Cold okay? for us is like 65 degrees. Yeah. It's like, ooh, no. Like, no. So, I, I'm definitely not. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, while this whole sneaky sex throughout the city thing might have seemed like a good idea, the shutdown of the back room at Babylon and all the other places is making things pretty hard for our boys. And not hard in a good way. <laughs> right. Uh, Justin says there has to be someplace else they can go, and the trusty faithful loft to the rescue. Thank God. Under those orange lights. I want some heater. Okay. I need yes, some climate control. control. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I'm assuming this is one of your favorite ep- scenes of the episode. Oh, well, you know, you you know, I do love me a good little, you know what I'm saying, Justin and Brian little session. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was hot. It, it was really yeah. good. I mean, you for know, real. I think for me, like, it was the hand in the hair and the soft kiss on Justin's yes. shoulder and like how he slides his hand down his back, like. That really makes the moment for me. No, seriously. And then that cheek kiss. Like, there's just such a sweetness. Even mm-hmm. in like a hot scene, mm-hmm. there's something sweet to it also. Mm-hmm. Brian says that Stockwell has finally done it. He's forced them to stay home and do these activities in their own beds. Yes. And Justin reminds him that he's the one who helped turn them into straight law-abiding citizens. But he says that in run. Yeah. Okay, you're going you're to you're get up and leave after you say it. Yeah. Because he well, gave a look that could kill. Yeah. Brian says, well, call me Dr. Spin. And I uh, think... He might have uh, worn that as a good thing at first, but now he's kind of like, uh, regretting that a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but really, even though it might look like this is all about Brian not being able to have sex in public places, I think he can see the part that he played in creating this monster. And the truth is, the right to sexual freedom is something that Brian values and mm-hmm. adamantly believes in. But also, he can see that other members of the community, like, there are things that they value and that there are freedoms that they have and that they enjoy, and those are being infringed upon. Mm-hmm. And so... Even if he doesn't care about some of the things they care about, he recognizes 
okay, I see. And also, this is just the start. If they're mm-hmm. doing this now, can you right, imagine before when he's, he's even elected? Yeah, before yeah. he's even elected. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's only going to get worse. Yeah, and even if before he could say, we talked about that, or he was like, okay, well, I'm going to be in New York. It doesn't matter to right. me. But still, he cares about, like, some of his family will still be there. Mm-hmm. And then he's just like, but no, just as a gay man, like, I don't, no, I'm not going to be a part of something that creates such a toxic environment. Yeah, toxic and controlling environment. Yeah, so maybe Brian waited until it got a little bit more personal, but I don't think it's just about him no, at this point. He's like, okay. definitely not. I mean, he's yeah. seeing the bigger picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when Justin says to him, well, you're the one who helped him, I don't think it's accusatory and it's not meant to shame or guilt him. It's just like, well, those are facts. Yeah, like, it is. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. Those are facts. Yeah. And we tried to tell you he was up to no good. You wanted money and power, and we understand, like, that's what you wanted. We know that you weren't 100% on this. It was business, but at the same time, I mean, yeah, sometimes but you, you were, got, yeah. All money ain't good money, you right. know? So sometimes you got to, like, draw the line and know your boundaries, how far you're willing to go. Yeah, you know? but I think now this is after, you know, they had that last scene in the last episode where Brian goes out with Justin when he's doing the posters right. and he's going to help him, and they're doing that as a team. And so... I think Justin is like, uh, at one point, yeah, you were contributing to the problem, Mm -hmm. but he knows that now Brian is trying to find some kind of way to be a part of the solution. Uh, Well, then Ben and Michael are at the diner in the very early hours of the morning, and they tell Debbie that they've been out trying to find Hunter so that they can tell him he's positive. And Debbie wants to know why they are involved in this, why Ben has to be the one to tell him. And Ben tells her all about Hunter naming him as his uncle at the hospital and that whole deal. Debbie is worried about Ben getting involved, getting himself in legal trouble. I was a little bit surprised because Debbie She's the same like, thing with Justin. Yeah. I mean, you just took him in. <laughs> well, I just, I don't know. I mean, I guess she's speaking as a mother and like, okay, she treats Ben as like her son now in some ways. And so you don't want him to get in any trouble, any legal trouble and get himself wrapped up into something because she doesn't really know. Like Ben has this very special Even from before, even before we get to what happens in this episode, Ben has had this special connection or the special draw to to Hunter. But Debbie doesn't have that. Even if she can be a compassionate person, she doesn't have that to Hunter specifically. And so I guess I shouldn't be surprised that she was doing the legal stuff. How? I mean, yes, I understand he could get in trouble because it's a minor. But at the same time, there's no one helping this minor. Right. I mean, like the system has failed him. I mean, they would understand. Like the kid needed somebody. I had met him before. The system failed him. Mm -hmm. He does not want to go back there. It's the only time he's being receptive is when he's in these type of, and barely receptive is when he's in that situation with, with, um, with Ben. So, I mean, like. I understand where they're coming from, but dang, yeah, someone's got to take a chance on the boy, know. you know? Yeah, but even in the face of uh, doubting Debbie, Ben is still determined to try to help him. Well, Debbie does know where to find him. She's used to seeing these young hustlers coming in in the middle of the night in these early hours in the morning. And she happens to know that they have relocated to the warehouse district. So Debbie keep her ear to the ground, she girl. She sure does, <laughs> okay. yeah. She does, okay. <laughs> Spill the tea, girl. So then Emmett and Ted are having brunch at the girls' house, and uh, this is good. They're socializing. They're getting out of their apartment in there with their friends. But I almost can't even look at Ted no, after I the don't last episode. don't want to look at Ted. I mean, we're not even getting into later yet. Just after last episode, I, I can barely look at Ted. And I know that you don't just happen into situations like the one Ted found himself in in the last episode. I know... That life has pushed him down pretty far lately, and when you're feeling low and alone and in that loneliness, you do very desperate things. He shouldn't even feel alone, like though. I know because Emmett has been right there. Now, true, a person can't really necessarily get into your situation 
right. they can be right there beside you or try to be as close to you and as supportive as they can. And Emmett has been perfect in that, mm-hmm. I feel like. Um, but even though I can see the path that led him there, I can't help but be a little disappointed about the destination. Yeah, like, I, oh, that was the and he worst hasn't desti- made it, destination. Like, I almost expected him to come back with some guilt and some remorse and to try to find a way to apologize and talk to Emmett about it. But, but no, he's acting like nothing ever happened. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I mean, he, this man, I mean, I know she, I know he is sad because um, during the breakfast, the brunch, he won't even hold his head up. Right. You know, like he's constantly down he when he's yeah, speaking. Yeah, he doesn't feel worthy to yeah. be around any of them. Yeah. He doesn't. But I mean, come on, bro. Like, that's definitely not him. It's totally out of character. And I think that's why I'm hurt. Because, I mean, he was the sweet one. He was the one that was caring. He he went I mean, above he and beyond. Was, yeah. I mean, he's always had his insecurities, his, his issues, and his self-love stuff going on, you know, or lack of self-love stuff going on. But, yeah, but I just never, I guess he's always been more, like, logical and more more of a pragmatic person. Right. And, yeah. It, mm, yeah. Yeah. Not, not a good look. Well, the girls are asking how things going for Emmett. He is booked and busy. He's uh, finally quitting Torso. So he's been doing all his party planning while he's, uh, you know, working at Torso while building his own business on the side. And then they ask Ted and he's got nothing to report. Um, well, Melanie and Lindsay want Ted to help them establish a college fund for, for Gus. And um, I like what they're doing. And it doesn't sound patronizing because Melanie bring some real life examples of how Ted has helped them before with their finances and investments and uh, with their taxes and their budget and things like that. So it makes sense for them to be offering this to him. I mean, even I'm pretty sure, you know, Ted is on to them, but this is in his field and And their friends trying to help him. Helping. He's going to do, you're going to, you're, they came to you because you're great at what you do. Right. They came to you because they're your friends. They came to you because they can see that you need someone. You, you're you struggling right now. Right. So we're here for you. We're not only friends. We're family. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what we do. We take care of each other. Um, I love what they did. I thought that yeah. was such a sweet gesture. I thought so, too. Well, then we see Brian, and he's with Stockwell and his team, and they're getting ready for the final push before the election. This is, again, why I say it cannot be February, because mayoral elections are usually in November, but... Maybe it was a special case this year. Very. Uh, well, Brian is wanting to show Stockwell with as many different racially and culturally diverse groups as possible, make him a man of all of the people of Pittsburgh. And so he's like, you can go to the um, the Asian American Center and to the, this center and to the Gay and Lesbian Center. And Stockwell is reluctant to appear at that one, which is interesting because he was so happy to get their endorsement right. in the last episode. In fact, he said he says... I'm not too popular in that neck of the woods. And I think that shows that he only cares about that, how that endorsement looks for his image and for the votes it could Mm -hmm. get him. He doesn't care about them or their causes. uh, Because I don't think he wants any kind of personal association with the gay and lesbian community. Um, Like, they can support me, but I don't support them. Mm Mm-hmm. And no one wants that. Well, Dr. Spin, of course, has something to say about that. (laughs) He says, since they endorsed you, it might work in your favor to show up and shake some hands there, just be seen there with them. And he says those extra votes could come in handy. One of Stockwell's staffers says, well, well, wouldn't that be a laugh if it was the gays who put you in office? And you can see Brian, like, fighting himself to not jump across the table on that guy. Seriously. (laughs) After all the work I've done for you? Right. Well, I don't know if they even know. I don't know if they know about Brian. We know Stockwell Stockwell. knows. Well, no, he does because everybody knows. Remember, Stockwell announced it at that press thing. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, they know. Yeah, like, dude. I forgot about that. Yeah, like, boy, chill out. Because 
you, what you were doing with the campaign was not working. Right. Okay. Uh, Take so several seats. The polls have shown that the race is getting tighter. And while Brian has been working his magic for Stockwell, the campaign for Deacons has been making some moves as well, apparently. I mean, Debbie has been faithfully wearing her Deacons for Mayor button every episode. That part, okay. Uh, plus, I would imagine that some of the swell in the numbers for Deacons are a result in a a result of and a response to the actions of Stockwell. Yes. Like people who are kind of retaliating against what he's what he's been doing. And um, I'm pretty sure maybe the posters too that Justin's yeah, been putting mm-hmm, up. Exactly. Yep. Well then Emmett and Ted are on the Av and after they left the girls' house and Teddy clearly knows that Emmett was in on the the ploy to <laughs> get <laughs> to keep poor Teddy busy. Um, and he sounds a little upset, and I'm kind of like, you got your nerve. Okay, like, I don't know how to even take you. You're mad because you're not working, you don't have anything to do, and you're mad because we're we trying try to give to you, get work. you some work. Like, yeah. w- like, what do you want me to do? You- yeah, and after you were just drugging in another word that I don't say. Yes, <laughs> um, for real. After you were just doing all that, and you want to be upset that we're trying to, to help you. Well, Emma tells him that it's not about pity, even if it was convenient and it would kill two birds with one stone like they get to help their friend but they also get to do this thing for for their child the the girls do need to build a college fund for gus and ted is an expert so it just kind of makes sense plus ted and melanie are really tight and like we said before it just really makes sense for them to to do this that way well linking back to teddy's night at the paradise motel they pass mark on the street oh lord and he calls ted's name and introduces him to two other guys and they are high as georgia pines on the street (laughs) (laughs) uh ted introduces emmett as his partner as in don't be spilling my tea on the street that part that look was like okay this is my partner yeah okay (laughs) you understand what that means right when i open my eyes that wide you know what that means okay okay now i don't like the seat and i don't like it when people do dirt but if you're gonna do dirt don't do it in your own neighborhood idiot you have to pack a go-ho bag and you travel across a few county lines with that thing (laughs) so you don't risk running into the people on the sidewalk oh my god i mean you don't what is it the phrase you don't eat where you shit okay that's that's what he did okay because now you done ran into the little the little trick on the street. Like, come yeah, on, bro. Get it come together. Uh, well, Emmett is um just making conversation because he's kind of like, okay, who's this guy? And well, Emmett's like, okay, y'all just leaving Babylon? <laughs> and Mark tells him that they're going back to, to his place for a little private dancer party. No, they finna have a little rendezvous. <laughs> a little rendezvous, a little ponderosa on over there. Okay? Yeah. Uh, Mark invites them and Ted says, no thanks, some other time. And Emmett ought to know that's not how Ted would usually respond to something like that. But it could be that Ted's just trying to like, okay, these people are weird. and so. Right. I'm just going to be nice. So it's, I can see them. why he would excuse it away. Mm-hmm. Well, Emmett asks Ted how he knows Mark. And Ted says that he's an ENT and he went to him once to have his sinuses drained. Well, you had something drained. Yeah, right. <laughs> You sure did, baby. Yeah. Several times, I think. While Emmett is distracted, Ted looks back. And, you know, I thought I saw a little bit of longing in his eyes when he told him. When Mark told them that they were going to his place, what they were going to do, yeah. I, I thought I saw a little bit of like, ooh, like, oh, I want to go. He yeah. did. He wanted to go, mm-hmm. but he knew he couldn't be him, his full self. He couldn't do it and partake in the drugs. Yeah. Um. He knew if Mark started touching and doing all this stuff, how could he explain it? He couldn't. Right. So he wanted to go, and that's why he did the whole look back. Like you mm-hmm. said, he did yeah. the look. That look back right there. That's what you. No, that pissed me off. Yeah. If it's one thing, if you had like a little one line thing, you got mixed up. You know, 
You were right, down and out. But, okay, I need to get it together. Yeah. But yeah. the fact that you longing, you have that look like you want to go. Then you do a look back while your man talking to you. Right. Like, I mean, that's just disrespectful. It was. And Mark sees Ted looking back. And I think Mark has known since he ran into Ted in the hallway at that vending machine that he's got Ted hooked. Yeah. Uh, over at the GLC, Stockwell is doing this, like, open forum Q&A thing. And he's there to kiss some hands and shake some babies, like Brian suggested. <laughs> And someone in the audience asks why it takes so long for the cops to respond in that area. And Stockwell says, well, he intends to guarantee a greater police force on Liberty Avenue. We don't want that. No. You can keep it, girl. That's all, that's what you're doing already. <laughs> yeah, uh-uh. Okay, we just want, if somebody breaks into my shit, I want you to just come immediately. Yeah, I don't need you just like over here. <laughs> I don't need all you the time. stalking no. and hovering. Uh, well, Tannis and Philip look so pleased. And Philip asks if there are any more questions. And Justin stands up. And he says Margarita Lopez. And then Daphne is there with this poster. Margarita Lopez was a transsexual. She was murdered five years ago and her killers were never found. And so Stockwell is going to try to say, you know, we make every effort to solve every crime. And Lindsay has a poster there for Jefferson Copter, a gay African-American shot to death half a block from Woody's crime unsolved. Then Natasha Ginsburg, a lesbian stabbed to death while out. Walking Her Dog, another unsolved crime. Justin Taylor and Jennifer says, My beautiful gay son attacked at his prom and left for dead. Police reported it as a simple assault instead of a hate crime, which it was. His attacker got off with community service. And this scene to me is so sobering and chilling. No, it's chilling because you can also see it happening today. Yeah, yeah. Because like know? out in our real world, we're like, say his name, say her name, yeah. say their name. Where that's a very real and relevant mm-hmm. hashtag. And I think about all these real life stories where tra- a trans person is beaten or 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 killed or left for dead and or gay person is bashed or bullied and because that black trans lives um, matter um, is that is a powerful movement. Right, because I, there's so many yeah disappearing or coming up dead and nothing mm-hmm. is being done. It's True. like why don't we see this on the news? And you don't see it. You do mm-hmm. not see it on the news. You know, so I mean, like I love this scene that they were putting in his face. Like, okay, yeah. you want to run the city. You want to shut this down? What, but what about, about this? These things? Yeah, mm-hmm. You haven't. You've been the police chief. You haven't done anything about this stuff before. Yes, and yeah. and now it's going to change. Now that you're going to become mayor. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I love that they called him out. They yeah. call, they called his bluff. Like you're not going to be down here having us. You know, using us to get your win. You know, no, not at all. Yeah, they, they put him that, out there in Front Street. I love that they made Stockwell look at this. I love that they made us as the real life audience in the real world look at this. Like. You know, this show is so so ahead of its time in so many ways, and it's honest in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And yes, they push boundaries with, like, scripted gay and lesbian sex scenes and things like that, but they also push the cold, hard truth in your face. Yep. And I will always revere these writers, the cast and crew, if for nothing else than for this scene right here, for just for putting that out there. I mean, it was just powerful. Yeah, it's so powerful. And that is something, like, there are some things about this show that are so timeless. I, aside from... The wardrobe in that. Right, you right. Know? It's hard to tell what you what, you can you could easily time warp them right into now. Right, a few tweaks here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Sockwell tries to put out this fire by thanking the citizens for this reminder of violence that threatens and claims the lives of members of the queer community. And he says, you know, the vast majority of crimes are solved and uh, the criminals are apprehended. Well, that wasn't the case in for Justin, but then also Debbie proves that this is clearly a lie when she holds up a poster for Dumpster Boy mm-hmm. and she says, did you do your best for him? And Stockwell, oh, he is selling it well. I remember that boy. His murder was tragic. Someone so young. And Debbie says, oh yeah, well, what's his name? 
And Stockwell is about to try to spout some politician's BS, but Justin cuts him off. It's Jason Kemp. And Debbie tells him no one on your force was able to find out his name. They didn't even care. They didn't try to. They didn't. They, they, was, they were making a mockery out of it. It was a joke. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't care. care. Like, oh, another one dead. All right, cool. Yeah. But Debbie went out and did this. She went out and did your work she for did you. She did all the work. Yeah. All the work. Anyway, so they made a fresh fool out of him, basically, in this scene. And as he's trying to weasel his way out of the center, he walks past Justin, who started this whole thing. And there's a look on Stockwell's face, kind of like, where do I know yeah, this like, kid from? Yeah, like, I know you somewhere. Yeah. And then you see Brian and Justin make this covert eye contact. And Brian kind of lifts an eyebrow at him. And Justin looks away quickly. And it's kind of this... um smile on his face like it went well we did yeah it did but at <laughs> yeah. the same time it made me nervous i'm like oh lord your cover is blown yeah. justin you're about to get fired okay. i know well then we see ben and michael and they are on the hunt for hunter and they find him about to pick someone up or be picked up by someone and ben goes over to him it's like hey i didn't talk to you it's important well hunter doesn't want to hear it but they're like hey you really need to listen and Ben tells him that he was tested for HIV when he was in the hospital and that he is positive. But currently his viral load is undetectable and he's a healthy young kid for the most part. And so it's really great that they caught it when they did. Mm -hmm. So even though Ben is delivering some tough news, it's still, some, it's still manageable yeah. right now. And yeah. So, he's know, still got hope. Like he's giving like, hey, man, we caught it early. If you get ahead of it now. You right. Know. Stay, get ahead of it. Stay on top of it. Things can be okay for the most part. Well, Hunter hears this and he walks off and Michael asks if he even cares. And Hunter says or kind of pretends that he doesn't. And I think at this point, life has dealt him so many blows. It's like, what's what's another? You exactly. Know, I don't come to I don't expect anything good anyway. So what's another? And he has to be hard. He's on the streets. Yeah. You know, he can't be soft. He can't let people into him. That's when it once once he let I bet he feels once he lets his guard down. That's when you know all the shit is gonna happen. Right? Because you, know? you have to imagine. I mean, he's only like fifteen or sixteen. You have to imagine at some point he has tried with at least one person. Right. He said that he's been in different in foster homes before, so you would imagine that at least maybe that first one he might have given it a real shot. True. And maybe even the second or third one. So. But low key, he does make it hard for you want to do anything for yeah. him. Yeah. I'm out here freezing my ass off. I'm out yeah. here in the freezing cold, mm -hmm. chasing your ass down, okay? To tell you about your health. Mm -hmm. And all you want to do, you want to curse me out? Like, oh, boy. Yeah, no, he don't, he don't make it easy. No, nah, mouth is you bad. Know, this is a lot of information for a teenage hustler with perhaps no access to consistent health care to Facts. take in. And I think there are situations where sometimes where some of these kids look out for each other, but I don't know that Hunter is a part of that support system because no one was there to help him when he was jumped by those nope. guys a couple of It was Ben back. and Michael. Yeah. And Michael says, well, if you don't care about yourself, care about the people you could be putting at risk. And I get that. I get that. Uh, but I mean, but he's talking to a 15, 16 year old. He, he, he's not caring about that. He's thinking they gave it to me. You right, know? yeah, one of them like, gets me and they, didn't care. Yeah, they didn't, didn't tell care. Me they and, didn't disclose to me. And also, like, if they want to do it with no protection, then... They taking the risk. They're, they're paying the risk. for that's it. That's what he said. Yeah. yeah. You pay your money, you take your risk. Yeah. And that's very true. Like, you know the dice that you're rolling. And so, is it irresponsible to do that without disclosing it? Definitely. But life is life sometimes. Yeah, life is life. I mean, it's a very unfortunate situation. Like, yeah. I mean, life dealt him some terrible cards. I feel like he was kind of forced into that type of lifestyle at fifteen. Like, I mean, like you said, we know we know we know he does not have a job. So, I mean, this is the only type of work that he can get. Um, this provides a roof sometimes. You know, it's how he can get food. I mean, so it's just very, very unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Yeah. 
And he walks away seemingly unaffected, but I do think that he cares. You can just kind of see it in his. Oh, posture I saw the bit. care in him. Yeah. He, it felt like that was they hit him in the in the stomach. You yeah, know, yeah. Like, but it I mean, was what's blow. he gonna do? Sit on the curb and cry about it? Like the only thing that he can do to survive for the next day is to continue working how he's working. Right. And so at least that's all in his mind. That's all he can do. So, yeah. Well, Emmett and Vic are preparing food for an event and uh, they got stuff everywhere. They're and they're so busy. They're almost to the point to where they need a commercial kitchen. So business is really, really good for them. Let's take a little side note. Okay. Y'all remember, um, what was that season two where Ben, I mean, uh, where um, Uncle Vic couldn't cook anymore and Ben, yeah, uh-huh. well, he got his mojo back because when I say <laughs> everything out there that's laid out, I, I want to reach the TV and I grab know. something. I know. Every shit. time they're talking about their menus or prepping their food, I'm like, mm, like I want some damn, of that. Damn, I want that. <laughs> Yeah, and I w- I do want to like just pause for a second on this point that the things are going so well for them because life around them I feel like swallows up the success that they're having, right? And it's the fact that, like you said, Vic has got his mojo back and he's mm-hmm. got he's got his man and he uh-uh. got you know come through Vic he's out here cooking and he's earning some money because before he felt like he was he couldn't contribute he couldn't work anywhere and so. I want to give them their little moment yeah. in the sun. And you can see Vic even got a little sass on him now that yeah. he got a man. Like, I mean, he's back. He, <laughs> he used to seem so sad and dry. And now, I mean, not just dry, but, you know, like. But just kind of. Yeah, um, like, like okay, yeah. like, this is my life. I don't have anything else. But now that he has a purpose and then, you know, he, he has someone There's to live for. A person and a purpose. Yes. And those two things, mm-hmm. man, can make all the difference in your life. It doesn't even have to be a romantic person. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, well, Ted is working away at the computer, getting his financial wizard on, and he gets an instant message, an IM, I guess, from Mark, and he asks Ted if he wants to see Tina tonight, which is Crystal no, Matt, according Lord. to the internet, and Ted says, no thanks, and uh, Mark says, well, we'll be waiting for you if you change your mind, and Ted gets up, I am, this moment, I'm like, okay, this is kind of good. Ted gets up because he realized that he needs an exit ramp. And so he's trying to get Emmett and Vic to, let's go out. Let's go do something, anything. Let's go see a movie. Let's go get dinner. Uh, and so I think Ted clearly recognizes the pull, you know, into this. And, right. You know, for some people, well, according to science, and if you uh, uh, agree with this, you don't have to. Uh, some people are hardwired to be more vulnerable to certain types of addiction. I think science says like 40 to 60% of your vulnerability can be genetic, just kind of hardwired into you. And maybe Ted knows that about himself. Mm -hmm. But even if he doesn't, he knows that he doesn't want to have to fight against that because I think he already knows that he's weak against it. Right. Which we clearly saw on the street when he looked back at the guy. So it's good that he's trying to get them to keep him occupied. But I think if you're at the point to where you know where your feet will lead you if you're left alone, you need to pull in some... Like direct help. Yeah, but so he needs some real help. Go yeah. seek counseling. Okay, yeah. you need to do that. Or tell him, uh, tell somebody what's if you don't like you can tell Emmett. Yeah, tell somebody what's going on. Well, I mean, he really couldn't tell. Only person he could talk to, pro- no, he could. Mm-mm. Nobody in that group. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I was like, he could tell Melanie, but she's straight up gonna tell Lindsay. Yo, I was, th- I was just thinking that. Uh, literally, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking. Then I was thinking. Oh, then he could tell Debbie, and I was like, "What in the hell, nah?" No, Debbie tells Debbie everybody. Tell at the very and then least. Michael's gonna get an ultimatum. Well, listen, Ted, you know we love you, but you have to tell Emmett. And, yeah, I mean, or, and no, does. Michael's not gonna say that. Michael just gonna march right over there and tell Brian first, and yep. then go tell Emmett <laughs> for real. <laughs> so. And which, yes, Emmett needs to know. But I feel like Ted has to be comfortable with himself yeah. first, you know, and he has to be. He has to have that confidence back. To, and, that, and that humility, I feel like, to go and tell him right. uh, when he's ready. Uh, yeah, he, he he has to go seek outside help. Yeah. Well, because even in this, 
this is going to sound bad, but even in this, he goes over to them and he's like, let's go somewhere. Let's go do something. They are working. Like, <laughs> How are you going to have me stop in the middle of my cooking? Right. Like, they're working. And not to, like, put one person above the other and or prioritize one person over the other, but, like, okay, Emma's entitled to have his life going on, too. And he has been there for you this whole time. And so, mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's just, it's getting rough around those parts. Um, but, uh... Vic has plans for a late night game of strip scrabble. So ah. even after they're done working, he can't. Uh, him and Rodney got got plans. Mm-hmm. Get your so. spell on, baby. <laughs> yeah. So he can't do it, and Emma's just busy. So there is a uh, no exit there for or no way away from this for. Uh, that's not true. He does have other exit options, but it ain't gonna be with. He doesn't Vic exercise the the right ones. Yeah. So at Woody's, Justin is there with the female contingent of the gang and they are celebrating their victory from the GLC. And Justin was the orchestrator of this whole thing. It's kind of how it's presented to us when we see them at the table. And then they are, how did you do it? How'd you come up with that idea? And he says, well, I've got my deep throat. Yeah. Very, very clever. <laughs> clever reference there. Yeah. A little Nixon era reference. Yes. Uh, well, Brian is also at Woody's, but he's not sitting with the girls or Justin. He is playing pool. And Debbie stops by his table and notices that he doesn't seem too upset. Like, Debbie is so, like, she knows Brian. Yeah, she, <laughs> she, knows, she knows him. She can see his fingerprints all over the trap that was set for Stockwell. And she lets him know that she knows without saying that she knows. Yeah. And what I kind of like here is like Brian knows that they're over there praising Justin for masterminding this whole thing. But I think they discussed it going like that because Brian can't be the face of this, of course. And Justin's not going to take credit for something that's not his. Exactly. So I know that they talked about this. Yeah, you know they did. I think he's very content. Like, okay, we did what we need to do. I don't need. I don't need to be said. Yeah. You know, it don't need to be said. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I he's got to keep his whole he got to keep yeah. with Stockwell. Mm-hmm. You know, so. I mean, even if the gang even knew, I mean, that's still keeping his thing. It's not like they're gonna Jennifer gonna that's write true. the stock. That's well. true because they wouldn't tell. But yeah. I, yeah, I think you're right. Even among even yeah, even with the game, he's always the gang. He's always trying to keep that image mm-hmm. and that persona and like yeah, the things also, that they wouldn't expect him to do. And I think he's playing it very well. Yeah. Now, don't y'all be sleeping on Justin though, because Justin's very smart. So I have well, he's learning every from confidence. The master. Yes, but I have every confidence that he contributed to this plan as well. I just need to put that out there. <laughs> They're a great team. Let's yeah. just say that. They're they a great are a team. great team. They're a power couple. Yes. They're a dynamic duo. Michael comes over and tells Debbie that they found Hunter. And Michael was expecting a little bit of gratitude, and Brian kind of finds that comical. And it's not that Brian is being callous. It's more like you tracked him down and gave him some very scary news. And he's already had a rough life, and you think he's going to thank you right. for that? Like, really, dude? <laughs> um, and-, and they didn't even tell him, like, Oh, let's go grab a bite to eat or something. Yeah, that's like right on the street to all his people. Yeah, you gonna tell me in front of everybody? What about my hip my hip law? Okay, yeah. like you didn't expose me to everybody. Come um, on. Yeah, well, Debbie tells him that he did a good thing. Really, Ben did a good thing, but Michael was there supporting Ben. So okay, sure. Debbie just loves her boy. Okay, <laughs> she just loves because hell now, if she could only be a fly on that wall at that apartment. Yeah. Well, Brian invites him to play a game of pool, and I think he knows his best friend needs a pick-me-up. So, all kinds of ways, Brian's just being a good person. Like, even though he might have his own opinions or might have no opinions about what Michael and Ben are doing with Hunter, he knows that Michael's down right now. He's dealing with some stuff, and so it's like, hey, let's, let's play a game of pool. Michael says that they are lucky because no matter how much Brian hated his parents or how much Debbie drives Michael crazy, their parents never tried to give them away. And Brian says, speak for yourself. 
Now, I'm not in the business of comparing traumas, but I don't think Brian got off as easy as Michael thinks he did. Because, I mean, from from the jump, his parents were, didn't want him. I mean, his daddy I think were told not him. For, were it not for the fact that they were Joan was Catholic, they probably they, would not have had he Brian. Yeah, no, he would have been aborted or, or sent to the adoption agency. What parent tells you that, yeah. you know, you were a mistake? Yeah, and and really, Michael, you can compare Debbie to what Brian's parents were doing? Really? Yeah, get it together. Anyway, so Ben finds Hunter on the street, and he brought him an old downfield coat that he has. Ben's a good man. I mean, he's not perfect, but he's, but he's a good man. And Hunter screams at him to leave him alone because Ben just keeps coming around. And he asks Ben why he cares, and Ben says, because I'm positive, too. So then we go um, to this weird party thing at Mark's place. Ugh. And our Ted is in attendance. And this just does not settle well with me. Like, I hate to see drugs claim a person. I mm-hmm. I hate it. It's it's still early and Ted can pull away from this. He's not that deep into it. But this just, this bumps up against some real life stuff for me. And it, it's just hard for me to, to watch this whole thing. I know. I did not like that party scene. But it's it's it happens so often in yeah. this community. Mm-hmm. You don't know how many people I've met personally who, I mean, and they're great people, but somehow that little party life has just consumed them. Yeah, well, I know at this time when they were filming the show, and probably still, crystal meth was huge in the gay community. Yeah. Um, a huge problem. And so, yeah. I mean, it still is. Like, still is to this mm-hmm. day. But yeah, I, I was, I mean... Last episode, I was okay. Not even okay, but I was like, okay, you know, he, he got a little nose candy. It's going to be okay. But to see him in this scene, smoking the pipe, I was like, yeah. he's like, not doing went coke. Deep into, you yeah. went from mixing vodka and Vicocet to crystal meth? Girl, I was Whoa. like blown the hell away. Yeah. I could not believe it. Yeah. Well, so Mark is telling Ted about the white party. It's coming up that weekend in Palm Springs. And Mark invites him to go and he's describing it to him like everything is great and white and glowing and it's perfect. And there are men around everywhere and everybody wants you. And to Ted, it all sounds very amazing. To me, it sounds like he's a used car salesman. Get your ass on. okay? And all of this could be Ted's for a few thou. Uh, That way, a few thou? It could all be yours. Yeah, for a few thou. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, To have this heaven on earth experience that Mark has explained. Um, yeah, I got it. And it's get... the way he said it. You can, you can afford a few thou, can't you? Like, yeah. if you don't get your hustling ass away from me. Right. Tell him the truth that you broke and your man yeah, is paying Yeah, I got to pay your way, his way. Yeah, <laughs> and your homeboy's way. Hell now, okay? Yeah. Oh, and I think I misspoke last episode. I don't know that that was cocaine. That was probably meth. I think he was snorting the crystal meth. I think so, too. I don't because think Because you can cocaine. shoot it up, smoke it, and snort it. Trust oh, me, gosh. guys. I do. I told y'all, like, I go to the little resource center. I meet, with me working on the strip here, I mm-hmm. meet so many. Thank God I have never met a, a, a kid like, um, yeah, oh God. like, what's How his, heartbreaking, um, like Hunter. Yeah, I haven't met a kid like, like Hunter. It would be so hard for me to see someone so young going through that type of situation, you know, or even just, I haven't experienced a situation like that, but I have experienced situations of, like I said, these people dibbling, dabbling to the drugs and it's consuming everything on them. So I like to um, kind of volunteer my time uh, whenever I have at the resource center and try to give any advice or, you know, help them out any way possible. Because I think some of these people just need, I think they just need some some type of positive light, positive yeah. influence on their life. Well, the thing, 
eventually I'll have more to say about this, but one of the things about crystal meth is how it makes you feel about yourself in mm-hmm. that moment while you're on it. In that moment. And so the people who are searching for that feeling in themselves, if they could get that from somebody else, now, not in every situation, clearly, because Ted is getting a whole lot of love from Emmett, but there's, you need more than just one type of love and one type of support. I so appreciate those centers and those people who mm-hmm. volunteer their time and therapists who work there and things like that who try to help these people find a purpose and try to reconnect them with the people in their lives. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I might have gotten very off topic. But <laughs> yeah, um, let me just uh, one thing and then we can move back on to the uh, on topic. I, I spoke with um, a gentleman once and he said that he tried it once and it took him down a rabbit hole. And ever since then, he's been chasing that first high yeah. that they can never catch again. And that's something like that's just, that's something to think about. Like, it's just it's terrible. It takes you on this this insane roller coaster, but yeah. you never make it back to the top. You only do that yeah. one. It's only all drops. It's never up. I know it's it is always so down. hard to live in recovery and. You know, I know people who are who are living in recovery and I I am just so proud of them because I know for some people it is a daily a daily struggle. Yes. So wow, just yeah. Very again, something else. We talked about the scene with them doing the posters with the people, but even this, like putting the whole drug issue out there, uh, just putting that ugly truth in our face too. Oh man. Well, on another note, Ben has a bowl of soup for Hunter, and a bit of the chill has fallen off of Hunter, literally and figuratively. Uh, it goes to show you that you never know what a person has going on in their life. Like Life can happen to anyone, not just hustlers on the street. It can happen to a guy who's in a committed relationship and is a professor at a university like Ben, because mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure when Hunter saw Ben... He was thinking, what's this guy, you know, how's he going to relate to me? Like, why does he care? What's his angle? What's he doing? Like, but then to hear that Ben is positive and whatever Hunter had in his mind for what a positive person, like how you become positive and what that person looks like. Mm -hmm. And then to see Ben, like, you never know what a person's got going on. At 15, you think being positive, that's the immediate death sentence, Mm -hmm. you know, especially when they told him, he was like, okay, I got AIDS. Yeah. Bye. He he went, he just straight bypassed HIV. Didn't even hear that you're undetectable. Yeah. Didn't didn't even hear hear that part. Any of that. So, I mean, he's like you said, he's thinking how, how can you understand what I'm going through? Mm -hmm. But then when Ben, you know, disclosed his status to him, uh, that kind of like, like you said, softened him up. Like, wow. You know, he's trying everything to get me where I need to be. I mean, he's not going to change overnight, clearly. Right, no, no. Um, no, no, I mean, too many years on the street, um, but he's not going to change overnight. But now he understands, and he has someone that he can turn to, you know, and someone that that can truly understand what he's going through or or can guide him onto what to expect. Yeah, or Or, give him a little bit of of hope, I guess, mm -hmm. in a way. Uh, Hunter asks Ben how long he's had it, and Ben says he tested positive three years ago. I think that math is a little fuzzy, but we're going to blow on past it. Um, Hunter asks, what the, what's the big deal? And because Ben looks healthy, he's got his career, he's got his partner. He's like, okay, so what's, you know, what should I be afraid of? But also he's young, invincible kid. And, um, Ben says, Ben tells him that there are some challenges, like socially, psychologically, Mm -hmm. like there are some challenges to it. And Hunter says, well, I'm a kid. Do you mind like talk down to me? But Ben isn't going to do that because he like, yeah, age-wise, you might be a kid, but he knows that he knows that Hunter is processing this more than he's letting on. And he's right. thinking through it more than he's letting on. He's affected by it more than he's letting on. Well, then Michael gets home, and he is uh, not super happy about this, but he doesn't go into one of his rage He was things. pleasant in this he scene. He was pleasant, yeah. And he just kind of goes off and does his own thing. Uh, 
Well, in the bedroom. <laughs> My thing, shut the door, bro. Like, this is a kid, man. Yeah. Uh, so Michael's not too happy about it when they get to the bedroom. Ben told Hunter that he could stay there and he didn't give him a time limit. Now, um... This is bad blood on Ben, though, because yeah, you already know we, Michael doesn't even like this kid like that. Yeah. Well, y'all all got cell phones. You could have like, I'm going to the restroom right quick. Hey, babe, I mean, I know. Don't... Let me just finish. Uh, let me just... Yeah. Let me finish. Hear me the whole yeah, way. Yeah, hear, hear me, me the, out, whole way out. the whole way out. Yeah. But you gonna... I don't like surprises. Okay? Right. So, I mean, I can understand where he's coming from, but at the same time, Bro, you know what the kid is going through. Stop tripping. Yeah, I think at this point, Michael has realized, okay, Ben's not going to let this go. But Michael does want to okay, well, what's your, what's your plan? Like, what, what, what plan do you have in mind? And Michael says, you hardly know him. And Ben says, well, actually, we're related by blood. Facts. And this is personal and important and significant to Ben in so many, in so many ways. Because even before he knew Hunter was positive, when they first met him in that episode, the first episode we met him. Right. I guess 308. Eight. It wasn't 308 we met him. Yeah, it was. Was it 308? Yeah, we met him in 308. Oh, wow. I know. Uh, even when we met him there, like Ben was already kind of drawn to him right. um, in a way and just had some strong desire to protect him and look out for him. Do you think Ben want to protect? Well, now that he knows he's positive, you think Ben wants to save him because he felt like he couldn't save Paul? That could be some of it. I think for Ben, just coming off of where he was with the issue with his right. with his status and with the steroids and all of that. Uh, and now it's like, okay, I can use this thing to connect with a person who has the same thing and be a positive influence in their life and try to help them along. And I mean, you see that a lot. You see people who had whatever, if it's cancer or if it's some addiction or something else like that, they will use that thing that they have in common with another person to, to connect with them. And, Correct. So I think it's some of that. Uh, and I think Ben talks about wanting to be, he's got some paternal instincts. He talked about mm-hmm. wanting to be a father. Well, that's not going to happen in a traditional sense for him. And so I think it's a way for him to kind of step into that step role, into that role mm-hmm. even if it's just like a temporary thing and just to offer some advice where he can and when he can. I have a question for you. Oh, Lord. I almost wonder if this would have been a deal breaker for Ben. Like, if Michael would have absolutely refused to let Hunter stay, like, do you think that could have been a deal breaker? Um, I do. I think Ben was going to stand up for what he believes in, and he believes in helping this kid. So um, they wouldn't have broken up, but Ben would have said, well, we're leaving tonight. Yeah, well, I'm going to go and get a room get, somewhere. Get, yeah, or get him a room or get us a room or yeah. something like that. I think it might would have put some things on pause. If, yeah. Uh, yeah, because he feels that strongly about it. Well, over at the loft, Justin has the next poster on deck. And um, Brian comes in, he's showing it to him, and Justin wants total annihilation. And Brian's thinking that maybe he should be more realistic in his goals. After all, it's just a poster. But uh, Justin says, well, there was an editorial piece written about one of the last posters. And again, that's why I say Justin doesn't really do any of this for credit either, because he never went and assigned his name to that. I mean, Justin's an artist in the making, and he could have went like, "Mm, by the way, that's mine. Exactly. (laughs) uh, And became famous. But that's not what it's about. This is about fighting for what he he believes in. And Brian asks how he got to be such a clever devil. And Justin says he learned from the master. Facts. Yeah. And, (laughs) you know, but also the, the way that Brian looks at Justin here and when he goes to kiss him, like, this is a quality that Brian has always appreciated and admired of Justin, uh-huh. like that fearless resolve to think and act for himself and to be his own man. And we know there are times when Justin wavers on that, but he just about always comes back to himself. On he's it. becoming the best homosexual ever. He sure is. The best homosexual he could be. Yep. <laughs> That's what he's becoming. So 
we're going to do something right here that we don't usually do uh, because there are two scenes kind of intercut with each other here. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to separate them. Because, okay. So we don't have to like jump between two. Okay. <laughs> we're going to separate them. So we're going to start with Jim has called a late night emergency meeting with Gardner. And Gardner's like, hey, you need to talk to me. Say it was an emergency. What's up? Well, Jim says that he's become aware of a situation in his campaign. Someone who works who worked very closely with him is working against him. And Gardner's like, okay, who who do you think? Yeah, yeah, what's going on? Who do you think it is? And he says, Brian. And Gardner immediately is like, no way. Brian wouldn't do that. But Stockwell says, I'm a cop and I I know when I'm being set up. Plus, he recognized the kid, Justin Taylor. He remembered where he'd seen him before. It was there at at Vanguard. Mm -hmm. And Gardner acknowledges that Justin is an intern there. But he says, okay, so you saw Justin at the thing. He was calling out the names, but, and and he works here. Like, so what's the connection back to Brian? And Stockwell says, it's because he's a, and he uses a word that no family oriented man of the people should use. Period. (laughs) I mean, and you, you are supposed to serve and protect and use the F word, bro. Right. I mean, that's just terrible. Mm -hmm. And he looks evil in this scene. He does. I mean, the way he walked, it, it just, he looks so evil to me. I was like, I thought this man was cute. Like, I mean, he scared me just by his look. he did look, yeah. He did look very, very evil. Uh, Well, so Jim wants some justice, and he wants, uh, he he wants Brian gone. That sounds like a Karen to me. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. It does. Whatever we call, whatever we call in the male Karen. Yeah. Well, Gardner tells Jim that that won't be so easy. Like, you presented Brian as your, your close friend, your personal advisor. You celebrated him being a gay member on your team. And now you that's the reason you want to get rid of him. Like, you can't just do that. Now, it seems like Gardner, it can look like Gardner's trying to defend Brian, but I think Gardner is a man who's about his business. He's saving that business. Yeah, and Brian has always been very good for business. And so even though I think he would try to find some way to punish Brian or make But it was the truth, though. Yeah, um, but he knows the majority of his profits have been because of Brian's, Brian's brilliance. And so he's not super eager to, to get rid of him. Well, okay, so now back over at the loft. Girl, I'm about <laughs> meanwhile, to die. Meanwhile at the loft, our uh, vigilantes are getting it on <laughs> uh, over here. And I love this whole scene with the two of them and how they're going across the loft. And yeah. there are those big old things on the floor, uh-huh. big old cushions on the floor. And that they're both wearing, the, they're coordinated, like in their in the way that they're, the way they're moving. And even the way that they're, you know, they've gone the the black boxer briefs together. And it's just showing all this, like, this solidarity with Mm -hmm. the two of them and just how they are so in sync with one another, even the way they move in this this scene. It's almost like it was a a choreographed, you know what I'm saying, dance that they were doing. So a hot scene, but a very, yeah, just, yeah, good scene. And... I even like, you know, Brian's like down on his knees kissing Justin's belly. (laughs) No, no, it it was, that was hot because you see it in reverse because this whole time, it was Justin on his knees to see Brian. You know, I love that Brian, he's versatile, I guess. You know, I love that how he can, he shows Definitely the pleasure. Definitely in give this the relationship. Yeah, he's yeah, in that relationship. Like, he's not just about taking. Yeah. Exactly. And he makes Justin feel good. So Yeah, I, mean, I yeah, love, like, when Brian removes Justin's sock and Justin, like, slides his foot yeah. down his torso. Like, I thought he about to suck on some two. toes. I was like, oh, okay, y'all really going for these it. These two are really, yeah, really going after it. Uh, well, things are hot and steamy down on that floor cushion, and there's a knock on the door, and, um, so they pause, and- uh, For one, let me just stop you there. For one, if I'm in the middle of doing some stuff, 
I don't care if it's a knock, the phone ringing, my mama calling. Uh, no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I'm well, not. Well, Brian stopping. usually does it. I mean, sometimes he will, but other times he doesn't. Like people just walk right in on it. Uh, but they do stop, and they Brian goes over to the door. He doesn't. Did he say hello? Who is it? No, didn't ask who it is. Nothing. And I'm like, what is? Dude, you live in no the city. On. <laughs> yeah. For one, okay. One, yes. For one, you live in the city. Two, boy, you're a butt ass naked. And not only you, Justin is too. If you don't care about your yeah. privacy, what about his? And you don't know who you open the door to late night. Okay, yeah. this is a late, 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 late night. Okay, look, why are you opening the door without finding out? Where's your peephole? I know. I'm gonna go over to the law and just like carve a peephole. Yeah. <laughs> Baby, you spend you spend too much money at this loft not to have to see who, who at your door. That baby. is like a, a basic need on a door. Um, well, so Brian just instead of checking a peephole or asking who it is, he just slides it open, and it is Jim. And we, I <laughs> died literally it died. Was like, a door opens, Jim. Ooh, and yes. then Jim sees the posters. Ooh, no, it got louder. <laughs> every every ooh got louder, girl. Ooh, yeah. He sees. He opens the door. Brian's naked, and, and you know, and he sees it. You know, it's Jim. Ooh, he sees Justin and the posters. Ooh, then you know, what I'm saying like for one, don't even come to my house. You know, what I'm saying right. like he did just like barge. He moved Brian out of the way. He's like walks up in there. I mean, Brian was just like, come on in. You know, yeah. Brian just let him come on. Well, at that point, he had seen everything yeah. that there was to see. So, yeah. Girl. Oh, man. And then Gardner's behind. Yeah. yeah. Girl. Gardner I mean, could have called Brian. Like, hey, we on the way. We can talk to you about something. Yeah. Don't nobody call anymore. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, so he walks in. And at this point, Brian's like, oh, my goose is cooked. And he says, well, what's the matter? You never seen two guys. Um... Fucking? <laughs> That's yeah. what he said. Yeah. And... Nobody says anything, but nah. Jim bends down, picks up a poster, crinkles it up, and then shoves it at Brian and walks out. And Brian closes the door, and he's like, want to finish? <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Do you think they finished? Um, No, I guarantee. No, they probably did not finish. Oh, see, I kind of think so, because there's a whole lot of frustrated energy running through Brian and possibly Justin at this point. So, And that needs an outlet. No, I think Justin probably feels bad. Like, I know that I did this. But damn, I should have, I mean, like, yeah, I think his, he kind of roped Justin's them in. immediate concern is going to be, is Brian okay? Yeah. Um, And so, or how do I get Brian to be okay, at least for right now? Um, And so maybe that is through sex. I mean, maybe so, it's not. So. I mean, I, I'm 50, I, I don't even know. I'm 50-50. Because the way Brian said it, it was sarcastic. Like, want to finish? It was sarcastic. But, I mean, knowing Brian, you know, he probably yeah, could no, go course, over there and finish. It, it was, of course, sarcastic, but uh, I don't think they probably went right back into it. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, I I literally feel like Justin, like you said, is like, oh, my God, how can I make Brian feel better? Like, Yeah, I think I that's going to be his first yeah. thing. Brian's immediately going to go into, okay, holy crap, what all is this going to mean for me how does this look? <laughs> professionally yeah. and all this stuff? How can I spin this? But, yeah. But, I mean, what else are they going to do? They can't go out to Babylon because the back room's closed anyway. They can't go hang posters because now that their identity has been revealed to the chief of police, they uh. could get arrested. And, um, yeah, I don't this, really this, see them talking through it. No, tonight, so. I don't. No, uh, it's just not a good situation. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, I mean, I, I'm Ooh, still it, dead. Yeah. I'm still dead. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Girl, that popped me up. I, I popped up. Like, yeah. I don't... Mm. We got really, really loud. Crazy. <laughs> uh, Well, Michael and Ben are having breakfast and preparing for the workday. Uh, Ben's in a natural caretaker mode. 
And he's asking Hunter about school. He's making sure he has a healthy breakfast. And even Michael has calmed down a little bit. And I thank everything sacred and holy for that. I do get his hesitation to have a stranger just move in. But it was the lack of compassion that was rubbing me the right way from Michael. That's what I was saying yesterday. I mean, I'm sorry. That's what I was saying last week on our last episode. But yeah, to see Michael refresh this morning, Michael's been cute. It was nice. It was fun. Um, I feel like I feel like okay, Michael was gonna make a connection with Hunter. Yeah, he was making jokes. Yeah, with him. yeah, he was trying. Making yeah, an effort. it was a good, it was a good little interaction between the two of them. Yeah. Um. So they're gonna leave for the day and go to work, but they tell Hunter Ben tells Hunter that they will be home around seven, so he can come back for supper and to stay the night if he wants. And that's probably gonna be the best way to handle that with Hunter. Like, leave the ball in his court. <laughs> if uh, if he chooses to come back, he does, and if he doesn't, then okay, he doesn't. Um, but letting him know that option is there and you can trust us when we say that. If you come here, the door is going to be open yeah. to you. Well, so Hunter is leaving because I tell him, hey, you got to go because we're about to leave. And Michael follows him out into the hall. And I, I admit I was a little nervous because every other time that Michael has followed a blonde haired teenager out, <laughs> Never it's, been, good. it's been some bull. Always. <laughs> Always. So I was very nervous and not very hopeful. <laughs> but Michael goes out and he asks Hunter if he's coming back. and. The reason he's asking is because he wants to prepare Ben or to be able to comfort Ben if Hunter doesn't come back. Like, Michael doesn't think Hunter's going to come back. Michael probably doesn't want Hunter to come back. Right. But Ben is hopeful, and Michael doesn't want to let those hopes get too high. And um, I understand that. He's looking out for for his man. Yeah, that was so thoughtful. It really was. And I feel like he came to Hunter as a man to man, like, hey. You know, like we can't we can't stop you from doing what you want to do, but I don't want you playing with my man's heart right. because he's really invested in you. Like he is, he's invested, and he was honest. I'm not invested in you. I don't believe you. I don't trust you. But he does. So with that being said, please don't hurt him. And if you plan on doing that, then let Just me know go now. Ahead and tell me now, yeah. Yeah, let me know now so we can squash all of it. I, I respected Michael in that moment. Yeah. Well, Hunter's response is rough, but it's honestly to be expected. It's hard to know how to accept all of that all of that kindness and concern when no one has given that to you. And the few people who might've offered it to you in the past have used it to take advantage of you. Right. So I get why. I mean, it totally tracks that, that this is the way Hunter is responding, that he is so rough. And I think that it's intentional by the writers to make Hunter a character who you feel sorry for and have compassion for. But at the same time, you're like, Oh, you got way too much attitude. You kind of right. get on my nerves. Like it makes sense to write him that way because a lot of times, unfortunately, being in the system, being thrown on the street, being neglected, it hardens you. It does you. harden you. Yeah. yeah. And so you intentionally make yourself hard to love. <laughs> and yeah, and, and he ha- that's a survival um, yeah. tactic for mm-hmm. him. He mm-hmm. has to be rough. He has to be tough. He can't keep his guard down. I mean, or you, you know, or he is going to be taken advantage again, uh, yeah. take advantage of again. So yeah. So then Brian is in uh, Gardner's office and they're having a little meeting. And Gardner says that there are limits to what Brian can get away with. And he runs down the reality of the crime scene. Like, not only was the not only were you there with the intern, the posters were there. He's been putting those up all over the all over the city. You were responsible for orchestrating that thing at the GLC. And Brian would rather just get to the punishment or the ultimatum or the consequence or whatever it's gonna be. And he asked Gardner, what do you want from me? And Gardner wants to know why Brian would sacrifice his future and the agency's future. And Brian just looks at him and says, you wouldn't understand because you're straight. 
And, you know, sometimes that's the only explanation there is. That's the only if, one. If you don't present as my gender or you don't share my skin or you don't or my orientation, like you'll just never get it. Because you can never walk in my shoes. Right. Like you can empathize with me, but you can actually and never. I can put, try to explain yeah. it to you, but it will never. It's not the same you walk. Just, you just won't get Mm-mm. it. Uh, and so I feel like that was that was perfect. What he said was perfect. Um, and I feel like that's all the explanation that the yeah. show get, need, needs to give. Yeah. Because I was like hanging, I, I couldn't wait to hear what Brian was going to say. But then when he says it, I was like, you know, that that Perfect. sums it up. Mm-hmm. That's all there is to it. Whatever the reason, you just missed yourself out of a job. Girl, my mouth, I was like, pick my shit up. Yeah. Jaw was broken. Like, I know Brian is not fired. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I knew Justin was gone. Okay. Oh, yeah. Like, I knew Justin Sorry, was gone. Sorry, intern. Yeah. But <laughs> it's over for you. I, I, I was thinking, well, you know, Brian too cold. Like, I mean, I guess it was... It was proven that, you know, you can, you know, like, I guess I want to try to say, no matter how good you are, that you still can be sacrificed, right. you know? And, um... Well, everybody's disposable. Yeah, and, and Brian, I thought he was irreplaceable, and I guess he wasn't, you know? Mm-hmm. And I guess it... Ooh, mm-mm. I, I just... I, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Well, Emmett is at the diner, and he's on the phone, and he's talking to Michael, and he's telling him that, uh, hey, have you... Do you know anything about Ted? He told me he was going to have a drink with with you, with Michael and Ben, and that clearly did not happen. Um, Ted didn't come home last night, and so Emmett's kind of starting to panic. Uh, well, the girls walk in, and Emmett acts like everything is fine. He's making all these these excuses for Ted, and he's just taking on so much with this, and he doesn't even know half of what he's taking on. And but I just gotta imagine pretending to be. Well, I don't have to imagine this. I know this from real life. Pretending to be okay is exhausting and soul draining and pretending that everything is fine and nothing's going on and everyone in your world is perfect and y'all never have any problems. Like that is exhausting. A lot. And that's what Emmett's been doing for a while now. Yeah, I feel bad for him. He's taking on all of Ted's troubles, masking it for everyone because, you know, he's hurting behind the scenes. He's trying to run. He's working two jobs, starting a business, working a real job, still trying to tend to your needs, make sure that he's tiptoeing around you, making sure you're feeling better. And then got to lie or put this front out for the... It's like it's, it's draining. Yeah. And I feel like if anybody's alone, it's Emmett. Because yeah. I feel like he's probably keeping a distance from the rest of the gang because he doesn't want them asking too many questions. Mm-hmm. And then he's trying with Ted, but he's not getting anything in return. So he's kind of alone in that relationship right now. Right. So, yeah. Well, Lindsay asks, well, where's Ted? And Emmett, again, makes an excuse for him. And then Melanie says she wants to talk to him about the investment stuff because she noticed that all the money in Gus's account is gone and she's just thinking okay well maybe he invested it in something or moved it over here to a better account or something like that she's not panicking uh and uh emmett is trying to keep them calm like oh you know teddy he probably put it over here or bought this and but you know he is he freaking was not freak doing out. a good job to me you look <laughs> he sus- looks suspicious like, do you have my baby I, yeah, I, for real i'm like bruh you must have got the atm card or something because you look hella suspicious right now. Yeah. Oh, man. So Emmett's got to go try to figure out some answers on that. He's got to go find it. Find out. Uh, what is it? The Vanishing Lady? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Emmett is so funny. His comedic timing is perfect. Mm-hmm. So this next scene, I love this scene. This is one of my favorite scenes of the whole series. Now, I have a million favorite scenes of the whole series, so I don't know how much <laughs> that's saying. But anyway... It starts out with Brian sitting there alone in the loft, and it's just kind of like, there he is. <laughs> like, right. okay, here we are. Uh, after all of this stuff and all this excitement and all this effort and all this work, like, you know, here he is alone sitting in the loft, and the door opens, and Brian looks over, and he notices that it's Debbie, 
And he's almost like a kid who's been caught. Like, to me, it seems like he almost prepares himself to be shamed and lectured. And it's like he tries to sit real still and small enough to but not be They noticed. filmed him little. Yeah, you know yeah. Like, like, they filmed him it's little. like he was trying to like hide from her. Like, maybe if I sit real mm-hmm. still and small, she won't she won't see me, won't notice me over here. And I, I feel like Brian has come to expect bad things to follow his attempts at doing good things and being a good person. Right. Like the prom, for example. Yeah. Like he did something very good, a gesture for someone else. And then look what happened with, with that. And I feel like we've seen other examples of that throughout season one, season two, and some of season three in, in different ways and to different extents. And, uh, I mean, definitely probably when he was growing up, <laughs> dealt with some of that. But Debbie is there with um, her tuna and macaroni casserole. Uh. <laughs> she says it was Brian's favorite when he was a kid. That's according to Debbie, but according to Brian, it was not. <laughs> and Debbie comes in to bring that to him and just to check on him, really. And she says that she heard he lost his job. And he tells her that he was escorted out of his office and off the premises by a security guard without so much as a ballpoint pen. That's trash. They treated him like that. Yeah, I know. It's trash. Like, half of you are probably employed because of the business that I brought to this company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Debbie says she would have liked to see that. And Brian says, so you could tell me I had it coming. And see, that's what I mean. I think Brian was expecting to be lectured or punished by her. Mm-hmm. Well, Debbie says that, yeah, he did have it coming. What he and Sunshine were up to was treacherous and deceitful. And she's never been more proud of them. And he says, thanks, Ma. You know, Debbie is the closest thing to a mother that he has. And I think it meant a lot to him to hear that she sees the good mm-hmm. in him. Like, she she saw his good good intentions, even though he was risking a lot. And even though some people would say it wasn't a smart thing to do, she's proud of him for taking the risk for something that was worth it. And I think she's even proud of him for doing it with justice. Right. Showing him, like, hey, you got to stand up for what you believe in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Brian's been rolling his own form of a comfort, and uh, Debbie is there, and she tells him she hadn't smoked since James Taylor had hair. <laughs> but after one whiff of Brian's offering, she says she's back at Woodstock with three guys named Julio. <laughs> uh, and so oh. Debbie's getting ready to leave. She says she has to go do some laundry, but I think she sees that Brian doesn't need to be alone right he now. He needs her. He, because he's going to heap that blame and guilt right on top of himself if he's left alone. And just dig himself way down into a dark hole. Like, we see where Brian goes when right. he's in, in an emotionally dark place. And mm-hmm. so, Debbie recognizes that in him and knows that, yeah, he doesn't need to be alone. So, she decides to stay and share a little smoke with him. <laughs> she says, if, she threatens him, if you tell anyone, you're a dead man. I but he say, looks so down. No, he him. looks so down. I will say, that moment was really, really sweet. Yeah. That she actually stayed. And, you know, she did something that he liked to do, mm-hmm. um, you know, and she wasn't lecturing this time. She was fun. She was listening. And yeah. so I enjoyed seeing them together. Yeah. Well, she says, you really scared me. I thought this time you had finally gone too far, sold your soul for money and power. And she says that she knows those things are important to him. And we've talked about Brian's need to have external validation because of his own self-worth issues. And, you know, not seeing your inner worth and so needing all these external things to show that you have some value. Another reason she knows why he needs power and success, like Brian grew up feeling like no one wanted him. So it makes sense that he would spend his college and adult years needing everyone to want him. But in a way that he but he still has to maintain that he's unattainable. So now he is the one doing rejecting when you're a person who struggles with deep seated rejection issues it's important to you to be the one who rejects people before they can reject you. And so like to my original point, uh, money and power make Brian desirable and they give him this control in some ways. And so it all of this makes sense as to why he would 
need money and power. Um, But also adults who are still processing childhood traumas or not really processing their childhood traumas, a lot of times they'll have things that they can point to and hide behind to make it seem like they're okay. Like, everything's good. I'm thriving. Nothing to see here. See, I'm successful. I'm in control. I have all this power. People respect me. Mm-hmm. Not never people love me or like me, but people respect me because I'm I'm in charge over here. And Debbie says that each time he would reach the precipice, he would always manage to pull back. And she says that she believes it's because of his innate goodness. And he laughs, but I think she's right. Like Brian is a good person. She's right. We all know she's right. Yeah. And I think that there's something in him that wants to act on that being a good person, but he's worked for years to build up this other persona thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she says, each one of us is born with a sense of right and wrong. She's trying to quote some philosophers, but she's, you know, feeling All that. over the place. But go, go ahead, Debbie. We, we're yeah, with yeah, you. We, we're following. We got you. <laughs> and she says, um, and we know the difference between right and wrong. And she says that Brian is no different. I feel like not enough people acknowledge the good within Brian. Like, same like I said with Ben earlier. He's not perfect, but I do think he is a good, a good man. Uh-huh, I agree. Yeah. So then their joint is... Empty out over what? What do we, what do you say? What is it? No, done? It's, it's out. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's done. <laughs> okay, well, it, oh. the cherry has burnt out. Yeah, it's done right before Debbie starts singing "White Rabbit." Apparently, yeah. she loved Jefferson Airplane, and she says, "Well, now we have Britney Spears, but now these days we protect Britney." Yeah, Spears. not so much, Debbie. <laughs> not too much on the girl. Okay. Yeah. Well, before Debbie leaves, she tells him to lay off the bad boy routine because he's too old for it. And it isn't true. It isn't true. Um, And I would add that he doesn't need it. Yeah, he does not need it. And we understand that you put on it. We understand. We understand why why you put on, but it's not needed anymore. Like, we can we see right through all that Maybelline, the way that you treat Justin. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, go ahead and drop the act, babe. Yeah. You know, something else I wanted to make sure we we talked about is Brian worked really hard to get where he is in his career. And now that is gone. Like, you think about how hard he worked to get this partnership when his job was on the line Mm -hmm. and he's made a lot of sacrifices and and put work before a lot of personal things, even his relationship. He lost. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's one of the reasons or one of the contributing factors to you losing your, your relationship, because I definitely think that mistrip to Vermont. That was was one of the big, that was one of the big ones. Yeah. So Brian has done this because that was really kind of all he knew for sure he was going to have in, in life was his career and what he built himself because it's hard for him to trust other people because the people who were supposed to teach him that when he was a kid failed him miserably at that. And so his career is very important. And it's okay to just be driven professionally. And he is very driven professionally. And now, because he did a good thing, stood up for what was right, that saying no good deed goes unpunished. Mm -hmm. And I think, so yeah, in a way he is kind of, even though he didn't get a lecture from Debbie and he got a lot of encouragement from her, the situation itself is like, oh, you tried to do a good thing. Shame on you. Look what yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. So Ben and Michael are home eating dinner and uh, it's so clearly it's set seven or three. after. And they, they have a set for three. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It, the, I thought you said it's after three. I was like, it's after seven. <laughs> but you said it's set for three. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. The table is set for three and Hunter is not there. And Ben is like, I know, I know he's not coming back. And Michael is surprised that Ben is surprised. But I'm like, Michael, just just let him let him have this. Please. Because you know, I'm, I'm sure it's kind of kind of hurting him a little bit because Ben really thought he was getting through to him. I mean, what more could Ben have done? What more could he have offered? 
And, um, yeah, so he's not there. I mean, Ben sat in hospital waiting for the guy to recover. Yeah. Ben walked the streets in the freezing cold. To try looking, to find him. Yeah, to teller. find him. Took him a coat. Took him a coat <laughs> yeah. again in the freezing cold. Offered up the stranger at their home. I mean, yes, yes, he's hurting. Yeah, definitely hurting. But, yeah. Well, we see Brian and Justin out on the street, and Justin is right by his unemployed man's side. That part, okay. <laughs> he suggests Brian, you know, you can file for unemployment, or you can use the time to write your memoir. And so, I think Justin's acknowledging the situation and not being like, oh my God, Brian, I'm so sorry, because, you know, Brian doesn't want to hear that. Brian makes his own decisions. Justin didn't force him into doing this. I think Justin helped Brian get off the fence, but Brian does make his own decisions. Because Justin never asked him to come do that. Right. He didn't even want to tell him. Justin was going to do it regardless. Yeah, you popped up even on me Even when Brian told me. him to stop it, he was yeah. like, no, I'm doing this. <laughs> so Absolutely. He's there with him in their own unique way, the way that works for the, the two of them. And Brian appreciates the career tips, but he's just going to drown all his worries and strife at Babylon. But Justin reminds him that the back room is closed. And when he gets all complaining, Justin says, well, I could always make my mother's meatloaf, honey. And we could look at the photos from when we took the kids to Disney World. <laughs> but I think this is Justin's way of, you know, he's got he knows how to poke at Brian. Right. And it's like, hey, we are, we're men. We're queers. We make our own rules. We decide what we will or won't take. Yep. Like, are you just going to roll over and whine about this or... What are you going to do? Exactly. He knows the right words to say to Brian to get him He going. does. He knows exactly how to, yeah, how how to speak to him and what to say to him. I like that it's been just the two of them together in this episode. Like, even if tricking is happen, happening between the scenes and we don't see it, and not that I care about them tricking, but I think in this episode, it was important to show the solidarity between the two of them. And not just romantically, but solidarity in this mission. Right. Um, Because they needed to be seen as a united front. So I like the choice to underline the fact that the two of them are in this together. Yes, yes. And, and none of their friends know that they've been doing this together. No, either. none. Only the two of them know this. Yep. And so It's their secret. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I like that there was just a lot of emphasis on them as a couple, as a unit, this episode. So then at Babylon, Emmett is there, but not to dance. He is looking for Ted, and he has Michael with him. And you kind of find out that Emmett has finally started letting someone in on what's been happening with Ted. Because, he needs to. He's going to yeah, go crazy. Yeah, he'll lose his mind because Michael knows. He's like, surely you don't think he stole the college fund. You don't think he stole the money. And Emmett's just like, not too sure because yeah. he ain't seen Ted. He don't know what's going on. And been I don't know shady. who he is these days, you yeah. know? like. For real. And then after running into his friends, you know, well, his new group they, of friends. Yeah, I mean, yeah. sketchy group. Yeah. So speaking of those friends, they see one of Ted's new friends on the dance floor. And he is totally tweaked out, about to give himself a heart attack the way he's dancing. <laughs> and they go and Emmett is, it's, it's kind of sad because Emmett is like pleading with this guy who is high out of his mind. And he's like, can you help me? Have you seen my boyfriend? He was with a friend of yours. I don't even know if you remember. And the guy says, oh, yeah, he went to Palm Springs. We were out tweaking last night. And someone asked if he wanted to go. And, and so they all they all went. And Michael doesn't believe it because he's like, ain't no way. Like, Ted tweaking? Palm Springs? White party? What? No. Well, could you? That, does that sound like Ted? No, not at all. I would slap somebody that said some shit like that. Like, no, you got the wrong Ted. Yeah. Okay. But Emmett... Is finally looking at all the signs, all the red flags that have been waving in his face this whole time that mm -hmm. he's been pretending were, I don't know, something else. He's finally looking at them. And so he's like, 
No, that's the right yeah. head. And I'm not looking anymore. Let's go home. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, no, let's yeah, let's not wait for him. Let's just let's just go home. But I do like that he doesn't even if he let Michael in on some things, I like that he doesn't just put all of Ted's business over there with Michael. Michael's girl, not the person though. Yeah, he is not the one. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I would have been spreading Brad's tea though. <laughs> like, uh uh-uh, uh, he had the nerve. <laughs> I'm out here busting my butt for us, cooking and working at Torso. Yeah, no, you're no good. And giving him money, okay? Like, I sent his ass on a trip, okay? So he thought. (laughs) Yeah, so he thought. Uh, So Michael and Ben are ready for bed, and uh, there's a knock on the door. And Hunter arrives at 11.59 and 30 seconds. Uh, 30 minutes before, 30 seconds, sorry, before curfew. I like that. That he. I'm glad that he came home. Yeah. Yeah, it was cute. It also shows that, yes, you listen. Yeah. And also, you know that we're good people and Mm -hmm. we're here for you. We're not here to take advantage of you. I love that they're reintroducing him back to a real family type situation. You Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And he probably waited till 11.59 on purpose. He did. Because he's probably been sitting downstairs since like 7. But it was like, nope, on principle, I ain't going in. Girl, he's been sitting (laughs) in that stairwell looking at the clock. Okay? It's too cold. He ain't tricking out there. Yeah. Then we see Mr. Brian Kenny storming through. He well earlier Brian and Justin were on the street, and after Brian was like, "Okay, no, we're not gonna go home and eat your mother's meatloaf." He had a little bit of an idea, got some inspiration. So we see Mr. Brian Kenny storming through, uh, <laughs> through Babylon with a sledgehammer. And what did you say about his pool to be able to walk through the club? I, with that the- <laughs> boy got some great pool. I don't know no security letting you come to the club with a sledgehammer. I mean, like, yeah. he just came in there with it. I mean, it wasn't like it was under a yeah, shirt. Shoulders, no, like... nothing. Like, he came to look like Paul Bunyan or something, girl. He was ready to swing. I was like, okay, okay. Yeah. I mean, he... Mm. Yeah, well, it's funny you say that. It was supposed to be an axe, and then they switched it to a sledgehammer, which I See, think I is a, knew it. It's a better choice. Yeah, because you don't bring no axe in no damn club. <laughs> Gosh, no. Please don't do no, that. No, like, come on now. Yeah, that looks very violent if you do that. <laughs> Uh, so he goes right over to that locked door and um, knocks the lock right on off of there. And it's another fuck you to you, yeah. St- um, Stockwell. Yeah, I'm like, come through, Rage. Like, he is the Avenger. And I love that in this scene, he lets Justin walk in before him. Because this isn't just for Brian. This is for Everyone. them. It's for the smaller than Brian and Justin, but also for the broader them, the men who should be allowed this freedom if they choose to partake in it. Right. So, yeah. I love that last scene. He's just on these, like, we're not going to take it vibes. No, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm here for it. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Let me know. Yeah, and then Brian and Justin lead all these guys back into the... To the back room. To the back room, Bro, yeah. they, they had confetti. Everybody was proud. I mean, like, for one, he for once, someone took a stance, you know, and they stood up to the bully. That's all Stockwell is, is the damn bully. Yeah. And um, they had the confetti popping. Like, Brian did that. Yeah. He did that. I love the last scene, that little flash of blue and that real hot kiss yes. with the two of them. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the assignment with this kiss was scorch our freaking eyebrows. And they understood it and they executed it perfectly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, man... That's a lot it in this lot. episode. <laughs> but I will say, I am looking forward to see this journey. Because you asked me weeks ago, what did I think about um, Ted and um, and Emmett? And I was like, I'm scared. I really don't want that to happen um, because they're too close to friends. And I knew some shit was going to happen like this. I'm dying to see what's going to happen with this storyline. Like, I cannot wait for our next episode. I cannot wait. When Ted episode. get his ass home. I mean, ooh, it's, it's Emmett still good. That's the question. 
is Emma still gonna be there? You know, like I want to know. Like I'm dying to know. So, guys, if y'all know that answer, y'all go ahead and go follow Don't us. Don't you on- do it? <laughs> <laughs> no, on the real though. But like, literally, that's what I'm dying to see. Like, all these storylines are great. Um, and also, yeah, I want to apologize to my little Stockwell fantasy or whatever the case, because <laughs> what Brian did to his ass, this episode was better than any type of sexual encounter they, they would have ever had. <laughs> Uh, and I saw how evil this man really was with his caring ass coming over here and getting this man fired. You should have yeah. just fought fire with fire. Just fired him off your campaign. Right. Why you come for his livelihood? I mean, you're, you're right at the end. Use yeah. all the advice that he's giving you up to that point. And then just, just never mess with him run. again. Yeah, yeah. just use that. And whatever happens at the polls is what happens. So, I mean, I was like, I'm, I wasn't here for that. But hopefully, we're, I'm, I'm over. I got the stock roll out of my blood. I'm done with that. So hopefully, we don't have to see him anymore. But, um, yeah, I'm down to see what's happening with that storyline. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, guys, um, let us know what y'all thought about this episode. And all for our new, if we have new listeners, guys, you can please, um, will you go and please follow us on all um, streaming platforms and social media platforms as well um, as Twitter, Facebook, and our Instagram account. It is Liberty Diner Dish. Um, if you're listening on our website, please give it a thumbs up and always recommend and share, guys, because we do this for you guys and um, for the love of the show. You have anything for us, love? No, just something in that same vein. I just wanted to say how genuinely and sincerely we appreciate everyone who listens to us. Yes. If you check out one episode and you decide it's not your vibe, or if you listen to everyone consecutively, or if you pick and choose and move around, like we are, we are so grateful to you. Like we are having so much fun doing this, but to see that other people enjoy it and not just enjoy the commentary about Chris folk, but just people appreciate us and right, exactly. uh, love to interact with us. Like that means a whole lot to us. So thank you for thank that. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Well, and guys, until next time we are out of here. Bye. Bye.